Last episode, my expert remarked that scientists might say the world is too far gone, and we're beyond the tipping point with our planet. That got me thinking, and I sifted through my expert contacts to find one who could tell us if that's true or not. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is John Pabone. John came over to the sustainability field two decades ago after leaving his position at the United Nations. Today, he specializes in helping large corporations and governments get a better handle on the part they play and the ways they can improve. I wasn't even aware that there was more to sustainability beyond the more hippie variety, but it's actually an extremely large and diverse field with a lot of grayish areas. John imparts a lot of knowledge and also tells us about the ways that it's okay to come up short. Let's create a better future. Welcome to the show, John Pabone. Thanks so much for having me, Colton. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Why don't you give a little introduction of yourself for everyone listening? Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to be talking ad nauseum about sustainability, and uh, that's because I've been in the space for, gosh, it's been about two decades. Um, I originally left my job in New York at the United Nations, uh, kind of traveling the world to see sustainability firsthand. So working in factories, uh, on fields, in sort of Fortune 500 boardrooms to really get a sense of on-the-ground sustainability. I just felt that was that was more my more my style. I've, I've been fortunate to be able to travel the world and see sustainability in a lot of different contexts. So um, American originally, so living and working in New York, then a decade in Shanghai, <laughs> um, Seoul, and now I am in Melbourne, Australia. Where it's late and it's extremely early for you because of antiquated time changes. <laughs> yes, indeed. And we're going to make the best of all that. But that's <laughs> quite a transition in the career field to be like, yeah, I, I worked for the United Nations in the US and then I left to go, you know, pursue this whole entirely other career field. Absolutely. And it's, it's funny. And if I think back on sort of how that how that even happened, uh, it was it was a few mentors at the UN saying, hey, if you want to move up in the ranks, you know, take a step out and then come back later on in your career. And I said, okay, cool. And it really wasn't until I moved to Shanghai, where I fell into sustainability. I think at that point, it wasn't even really called that. I know today people come out of school with degrees in sustainability that didn't exist. So I had to find a way to use all of that public sector experience from the UN and other other roles I had in a very commercial city like Shanghai. Shanghai is like New York on steroids when it comes to capitalism. So I had to figure out, okay, wh what do I do? How do I use all of this knowledge in a place that doesn't really need this knowledge? And I fell into sustainability that way. And I guess uh, backing up a step in terms of what I do in sustainability, because it's so broad. And I know a lot of people have very different interpretations of what sustainability means. But uh, my little piece of the sustainability universe is really working with corporations to help them become better corporate citizens. Okay. Because yeah, that's kind of one of those things that I wondered is like, what is sustainability at its lowest level? 
It's uh, it's a crazy question. You ask five people, you'll get 10 answers. But uh, by and large, sustainability is it's a catch all term. So I know when people hear sustainability, they think, okay, green environment. And yes, that's one part of it. The the hugging the trees part is definitely a part of sustainability, but there's so much more that goes into that. There is what we call the social side of sustainability. So that's things like human rights, labor rights, animal rights, uh, all those, those more social aspects. CSR, which is an acronym people might have heard, corporate responsibility, philanthropy, all fits under that. And then there's the kind of the boring side of things, which is where I am, which is the governance side of sustainability. So that's looking at how corporations and governments really make sure they're doing what they say they're doing. So a lot of communications work, marketing, uh, and a lot of kind of just pure consulting work of, of really helping a company understand what's most important to the business so they can start to address and change things in a positive way. So long story short, sustainability is a catch-all term. And basically at this stage of the game, you can kind of force anything into the term sustainability if you want, because it all sort of fits there. So it's anything that helps us to create a better future. Gotcha. Yeah, I had kind of had this image in my head where I hear sustainability and it's like, at least if you are using resources, you are putting something out into the world. You're staying at like this zero sum, like no net gain, no net loss. Like we're at least in the zero, you know, in the black, so to speak. That is that is the goal. It's uh, sometimes not attainable, and that's okay. No such thing as a perfect perfect environmentalist or sustainability professional. But as long as we're moving the needle in the right direction, I think that's uh, that's the right way to go. Yeah. So, what are some good examples of sustainability in your your sector of this field? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I guess in terms of how I approach sustainability might be a little bit different than what somebody listening to this might think. I am not a greenie. I've never worked for Greenpeace. I've never hung off the side of an oil tanker. I'm, I'm not in the activist community, although there are plenty of people that are, and uh, I respect their work. They do great things, just not my, not my bag. So I am fine with the hugging trees, saving polar bears, but I would rather focus more on helping the private sector. That's really where I can use my my skills the best. And so with that has come a lot of examples and and really an understanding of corporations that are doing great things. Now, I know when people hear corporations, they automatically think, oh, bad. And yes, they're not great. And yes, they've gotten us in this problem. So it should be their responsibility to get us out of this problem. So a lot of them are doing a lot of great things, but most of that's in the background. Uh, I don't know why that is. I don't know why corporations don't talk more about the great things they're doing. Maybe they're scared about being called out uh, as lying or greenwashing, or maybe they feel it's inauthentic to be talking about some great work. But there are lots of examples. And if I think back particularly to my time working in China, obviously China is sort of the, the world's factory, all the big global supply chains go through there. And that's really where we see a lot of great work happening on that social side of sustainability. So a lot of corporations doing a lot of work helping out their supply chain, helping out workers, particularly female workers, to upskill them, but also to teach them uh, lots of things around sort of soft skills like communications, family planning. So these really these things that they may not have learned in school, the corporations coming in and sort of educating them on those on those things. And now people are probably scratching their head going, well, that doesn't make sense. What does that have to do with sustainability? And why in the world would a corporation do that? And there's two sides to it. There's the feel good altruistic side. That's not what we lead with, because no corporation cares about that. <laughs> the the altruistic 
feel good stuff, that's a byproduct of what they're doing, but it's not the driver. And I think, and we'll probably get to this in a sec, but the conversations we have and the way we negotiate with business leaders has to be done in their language on their terms. So if I was to go into, I don't know, a boardroom and say, hey, I want to help your female workers because it makes me feel good and it's the right thing to do. They're going to laugh me out of the room because they don't care. They care about the bottom line. And that's okay. That's business. That's how it works. But in these examples that I was giving around upskilling female workers, the rationale is this. If you have workers going in and maybe they're out sick because they don't know how to take care of themselves, maybe they have bad hygiene, so they're in the hospital, uh, you're going to have high absenteeism. If they do come back to work, they're not going to be so productive because they're probably sick or recovering. So you have a productivity issue. But if you start to upskill workers and teach them these these bits and bobs, they're going to be at work more often, they're going to be more productive, and they're probably going to like you a lot more as well. So all of that helps out the bottom line. And then the byproduct is you've helped out and you've done something uh, altruistic to help out the, the future of humanity. When you said this, like, I don't know why these companies aren't saying more. Is it because, and I'm definitely not going to defend them on any of these points, I think they're large enough they can defend themselves. But is it because people will just say like, well, you're not doing enough? Like, yeah, you're doing this one thing, but it's just like, there's these other 600 things you could be doing. That's it. And I think, and we'll go back to the activist community. And in, in some of my writing, I, I, I don't pull any punches when it comes to the activist community, because I, I don't think they approach the messaging the right way. And they approach it just like you said, where if a corporation comes out and says, hey, we're doing X, Y, and Z, they'll say, well, what about A through L? Uh, which is, yes, it's true, but these are massive organizations that can't just flip a switch to change. I, I wish it was that way, but the reality is that it's not. It takes time. It takes a lot of time. And yes, I'm very aware that we don't have time. I get that. But you know, as long, again, as they're moving the needle in the right direction, that for me is a win. So to your question, I think definitely when corporations even entertain the idea about talking about this stuff, the stakeholder they're most concerned about are those in the activist community, giving them blowback about not doing everything else and then picking the whole thing apart. So they would probably just rather not say anything at all. Yeah. And that makes sense to just say like, you know what, we're going to keep doing things that are genuinely good, even if people don't see it because we don't want, you know, to catch backlash from anyone else. Absolutely. And there's always the risk that, they could be caught up in some sort of a scandal or greenwashing. And is that okay? And sometimes I say to myself, do the ends justify the means? And I think they kind of do. I think a lot of times when it comes to sustainability and getting especially the private sector to do better things, to do more things, it kind of takes this oh crap moment for them to finally wake up. And I, I like to give the example of Nike. Nike didn't care much about their supply chains until they realized there was kids making their shoes. And then all of a sudden they said, oh my God, okay, we, we have to do something about this. And is it terrible? Yes. Is it terrible that it took that to make them do anything? Yeah, it is. But it got the ball moving. And now they're one of the leaders in, in the space of social sustainability in supply chain and logistics. So I hope it doesn't take that for every company to be better. It certainly shouldn't because especially in 2023, uh, that's, that's not a good look. But uh, sometimes it does take that uh, being called out to really be better. Yeah. And you kind of hope like everyone is making active steps to be better. 
and it comes back to this like you know like you said corporations kind of got us here it's a little bit of their job to bail us back out of the sinking ship so to speak absolutely and it's it's funny because again we automatically think corporations satan incarnate and and those of us that are in the sustainability space or call themselves activists or greenies or eco warriors would really keep the private sector at arm's length. Now, there's an issue with that, because if we think about the past, it's been almost 100 years now that there's been the modern sustainability or environmental movement. At the beginning, it was really about people power and the bottom up. And that was great to get sort of the the idea out there to get people understanding what was going on and to really start to build momentum. Then we have this period during the 1980s where all these companies started to become big conglomerates. Uh, the the greed of the 80s, you know, sort of the, the Wolf of Wall Street era really messed things up for all of us. And then we got to about the turn of the century. So sort of the early 2000s is when corporations really started to ramp up their sustainability efforts. So if we look at all of that and we look at sort of where we are now and all the issues that we face, there's a lot of stuff. And individuals, this bottom-up people power approach is just, it's not enough anymore. I wish it was that easy and it's not that easy. So the private sector corporations, they have access to capital, they have access to resources and capacity that individuals can only dream of. So they are much better placed to be, to be moving the needle. And if we look at the other big actor, which are governments, governments have clearly... <laughs> Put their heads in the sand to all of this, and we can't really, really trust them to be looking in in our best defense. So it does come back to corporations. There's only three big actors. It's either we do it ourselves, give it to the corporations, or give it to government. So I don't see any other way forward besides leaning on corporations to to fix their mess. Yeah, like you said, I mean, the government is entirely in it for themselves for any number of reasons. And you know, like you were saying, it's really hard for like a single individual to make really any difference. Like no matter what we do, we could be offset for the rest of our lives, good deeds by, you know, one company. So it really like you have to lean on them to say like, this is where we're going to see that needle move the most. Exactly. And I don't want any of this to dissuade people from doing the great things they're doing. Uh, keep at it. Definitely keep doing what you're doing, whatever, however that manifests, whatever that looks like, keep doing it. Don't stop. But also we need to be bringing in this conversation with, with the private sector to be doing even more. So what are the best projects that we could start working on where we're like, these will see the biggest change immediately? Yeah, so I've I've boiled it down to five easy points as if it was that easy. But I, I think it, it helps to get people's head around really where we are today with sustainability. And I think the first big issue we have is we're still operating as if we're in the 1950s. And and obviously we're not. Uh, so it's it's about really point one is really about getting an understanding of where we are, what the reality is, what we mean when we talk about sustainability. So sort of doing your research and, and kind of getting up to speed. We don't have a shared language right now, even among the professionals. We don't have a shared language and that doesn't really do us a, much of a service. So really understanding what we're talking about and where we are today. Now, I'm I'm a, I call myself a pragmatic altruist. I'm a realist. I do not believe that anybody is going to go zero waste or live off the grid or give up their phones or their international travel. Some people will, 
and more power to them. But that's such a small segment. And I know it's not a reality for most people. And I wouldn't say that that is something I would encourage people to do. This is our starting point. 2023, this is our starting point. We go from here on out. So that's kind of what we're dealing with. Now, beyond that, really summarizing, I'm not going to go through all five points, uh, but really understanding that you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And to what you were sort of alluding to earlier, we see all of these things, we want to do so much, and we feel like the pressure is really on us to make this change. And that's because of bad marketing <laughs> over the past 20 years. And uh, you know, we're, we're at fault in my profession for doing that. So sorry. Uh, but it's not up to all of us to do everything. And we shouldn't feel like we have to, I think, in trying to do everything, we've really end up accomplishing not as much as we'd like. So I would definitely encourage people to find what it is that you're either really passionate about, or you have a specialization in maybe you're in finance, and you're an auditor, and you can lend that skill to an NGO. Or if you're financially well off, congratulations. Uh, but you know, even giving money is a great thing. There's no problem talking about saving the world and money in the same sentence. It's totally fine. So these are ways you can give. But to really pick that one lane that you're so passionate about, and I know that is very difficult to do. And if I think about my own life, getting to that point, because I go on the street, I want to save the dog, I want to feed the homeless, I want to read to the elderly. I can't do that. So I've picked my lane, I'm staying in my lane. And even though some might call me heartless for not trying to do everything, I know that that's where my power is best placed. And I suppose the the last sort of summary point is to really get out there and do something. Don't wait, don't try, just do it. Don't let anybody tell you, and this is kind of the more altruistic side. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it because you certainly can. Uh, just be educated about what you're doing and and pick something that really is a lane you can stick to. Yeah, and there is like point number one in there. It's like, you know, get educated. It seems like that is so hard to do because we see things on both sides where, you know, somebody is telling us, don't worry, everything's fine. Nothing is wrong at all. And then the other side, they're like, we're all going to die tomorrow. It's both. <laughs> it's we're, we're not dying tomorrow. And this idea of doom and gloom is is crazy. And of course, if you think about the 24 hour news cycle, they need that to be the lead because it gets eyeballs. I get that. It doesn't do a service to, to help us save the world, but it's, it's good for the for the bottom line for the media companies. And even if you look at organizations like the UN and just a few weeks ago, the International Panel on Climate Change released their synthesis report, which got quite a bit of media talking about how we're all screwed. That's not really great either. That's super doom and gloom. And all that happens with that is people sit back and go, well, what am I supposed to do? And they give up and they become complacent. And that's kind of where a lot of people are now. And I, I would just really encourage people not to become complacent or discouraged because there is a lot of work happening and a lot more than we can always contribute to. Is it nothing at all that's happening on you know the total other side of the spectrum where people are either, I won't even talk about climate deniers. I think that's just, that's like flat earthers. Um, but we'll talk about people who are just, you know, they, they purposely obfuscate and they don't care. And that's tough because it's very easy to become complacent. But I suppose one of the the little, I guess, look behind the scenes, behind the velvet curtain kind of things is studies have really shown that all of those climate deniers, a lot of those stats that are coming out, it's all being paid for by the oil and gas industry. So um, 
it, they're up to their old tricks again. They're just using different platforms to do it. So don't listen to everything and don't believe everything you see. Take it all with a, a very big grain of salt. Now, with both of those sides, we're kind of stuck in the middle. So that's why, again, we'd go back to those points of just really picking what it is you're passionate about, because with all of this doom and gloom and denial on both sides, it becomes very easy to become complacent. And one way to overcome that is to find your passion point. If you're passionate about something, you tend to give it your all, no matter what people are saying on either side. And that's a good point to say, like, even if it is all headed downhill, like you can still do things you're passionate about to make a difference. Like there's Absolutely. nothing wrong with that. And the and, and you know what the earth's going to be here. You and I. So on the quasi doom and gloom side, there's there's something that we call adaptation, which is really kind of where we are now. So we know there's going to be changes. We know we we see the changes every day now. We see that things are different than what they were just ten or twenty years ago. How we adapt to that as a civilization, as a species, is going to be quite important. The earth's not going anywhere. We're not, you know. There's not blowing up anytime soon. It's not going to be an apocalypse. We will be here. It's just our reality is going to have to shift and how we operate is going to have to change. And we're we're seeing the beginning of that now. But on the good side of things, I truly do believe that there's so much momentum now happening, uh, especially in the, the areas that I'm focused on with the corporate sector in a positive way. So we've entered this sort of virtuous cycle. Now, as with everybody in our generation, so either millennials or uh, Gen Z, we're sort of suffering through this very historical period where every day is something historical and new, which is awesome. Uh, so we're in the middle of it now. So we not, might not see the end result, but I am very confident that we're in a virtuous cycle and the end result is going to be a good one. It's just going to take a while to get there. So we have to be patient and we have to just <laughs> sort of... what. What's the the crazy saying? Um, May you live in historical times is an old proverb, which is basically a curse because nobody wants to live in historical times. Unfortunately, that's what we're doing right now. For sure. Is there <laughs> ever like a timeline where you give people that say like, look, we've got 10 years to start making big differences or we've got 20 or we've got five. Like, do you give people a timeline at all? I think it changes. I don't. Uh, I think it changes so quickly, especially the science part of things, which I'm I'm not at all involved in. I, I'm not a scientist, so I, I can't speak to any of that uh, as well as scientists can. But I know they definitely give dates around things. But even then, you see those dates are always moving up and it's becoming it's coming faster. So I, I don't know. It's too hard to say with any certainty anything around saving the world. But what I can say is that just, again, given my experience, I am pretty confident that in the next 10 or 15 years, which I know sounds like a long time, it's not a long time, 10 or 15 years, when we go to the grocery store or we need to make a purchase decision, all of the choices we have will be good, sustainable choices. I know now if you do, if you go to the store and you want to be responsible, you have to research, you have to pay more, and it's not so easy to do. That's not going to be the case in a decade from now because companies that aren't playing ball, companies that continue to be on the wrong side of history, the capitalism is just going to smoke them out. They're not going to be around any longer. So all those companies that are doing good will just continue to have to compete on being better. And that's that virtuous cycle. We need to be better than this company. And so it just keeps ratcheting up into things that are even better for us now. So by the time you get to the shelf, 95% of the work will have already been done. And, you know, we want people to like 
you know, find your lane, right? Find your passion, do your thing. Are there a couple for people out there that are just sitting here like, I don't even know what to pick. What is my thing? What's my passion? What could I do? Are there a couple of things that you always say, like, these are the go-tos. If you could do these things, like, they're great. It's always about starting local. I know that sounds really trite, but I think it's super important because you look at these these larger NGOs, these big organizations, uh, the World Wildlife Fund or Save the Children, they have resources. They operate very much like corporations and they, they have things streamlined. They know what they're doing. And they certainly have donors in with, with deep pockets. It's these local organizations that are really on the ground making change that are not as heavily resourced. They certainly don't have the funding or even the volunteer capacity that bigger organizations do. So that's where I would definitely tell people to to kind of start. And it's easier too, because when you start to see something happening locally that you've had a hand in changing, that really, again, another virtuous cycle where you want to do it even more. It's sort of like I liken it to mowing the lawn or doing gardening, right? It seems like a real tough task at the beginning. But when you actually step back and you're done, you're like, oh, it looks pretty good. You feel sort of, uh, you know, satisfied with yourself. And it's the same thing with volunteering at a, at a very local level or giving up yourself at a very local level. You can see that change happening. So I would certainly start people off in that direction. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter if it's reading to the elderly, helping the kids. It doesn't matter. Community gardens. Doesn't matter. Just find something at a local level and get started that way. Find something you can take some pride in to say like, yeah, I was a part of this. You see what we did? You see what we accomplished? Like, how good is that? Exactly right. Yeah. So do we see any like really genuinely bad examples out there where you look out and you're like, this is either a nonsense project or genuinely just like bad intentions? Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> everywhere. There's probably more bad examples than good ones. Um, I, I think my favorite one, and people are going to hate me for saying this, was the plastic straws. So, yes, it was it was very good to see so many people passionate about saving the planet. Was the passion channeled and funneled in the right direction? Maybe not, because at the end of the day, plastic straws make up something like 0.002% of all plastic waste. So it's it's really nothing. If we were able to galvanize all of that support and all of that momentum to something even bigger, it could even be something around plastics, doesn't matter. That would have been a much better use of our time. So I think that's that's one big example that people may have a link to or may have participated in. Another one is, and this is another one you might get blowback for, um, are all the activist antics that are happening right now, particularly from groups like Extinction Rebellion or Just Stop Oil. Um, I know they are very public and they're they're raising a lot of awareness, but things like throwing tomato soup against paintings or gluing your face to a busy street during rush hour is not going to really change anything. And there's, of course it's not, because all you're doing is aggravating people and people step back and they scratch their head and they go, what in the world does that have to do with sustainability and saving the future? Nothing. So the message has been entirely muddled and it's it's really unfortunate because they have such a big platform that they could use in a much more proactive, positive way. So those are two really strong examples. I think people would understand because they're uh, probably seeing this happen in, in the media or on Twitter, if it still exists by the time this is, this is put out. <laughs> Yeah, I was at first, I was like, who are these groups? Like, I actually don't recognize the group names. And then you're like, you know, pouring soup on paintings. And I'm like, oh, I actually did hear about that. But in no way was it at all connected to a cause. They because were just it's like, not. 
they were just like, oh yeah, somebody poured soup on a painting. And I'm like, why? For what? It, it makes no sense. And that's the exact same thing everybody's asking. Uh, and it, of course they're asking that because it makes no sense. I, I don't get it. I don't even think they get it uh, as to why they did it. I think that the intention certainly was to raise awareness. I get that. And they were doing it through any means necessary. But at this stage of the game, again, after 100 years of doing this stuff, it's not about raising awareness anymore. If you don't know something's happening, I don't know how to pull your head out of the sand at this point. So it's no longer raising awareness. Now it's about conversion. If I'm using a marketing term, now it's about getting people on side, getting people to act. We know things are happening. The issue is that people aren't acting on it. So by really doing these really fringe activities like destroying art, who destroys art? Um, and I know there was glass in front of it. I know it's not destroyed. But you know, even the act of doing it, who does that? It's so fringe that the normal person, which is 99% of humanity, they're going to look at that and go, I don't want to be associated with that at all. And then again, we go back to complacency. So it's no longer about awareness. It's about It's about converting to action. Yeah. Is there anything you can, you know, show people? Because I know at some point, like even this far into an episode, people are going to be sitting here like, eh, I still don't know if I care. Like, oh, where's my part? Whatever it is, there's kind of like an apathy to it. Is there anything you can show them that is just like, what about this? Do you see this horrible thing? Like, I know a lot of people did that. What was the movie? I think Blackfish, something mm. like that. That like showed it was to this day. I still hear people like, God, that movie gave me nightmares. And they're like, I just won't participate in a lot of this, like, you know, sea world or seafood, like any of this kind of industry. Like, I just won't go near it because what I saw was so horrific to me. Is there other good <laughs> examples out that where you're like, look at this massive, you know, Kilimanjaro sized thing of plastic? The the issue with sustainability, so going back to when we were talking about what it means, it, it really encapsulates everything. So Blackfish is a great example because that deals with the social side of sustainability around animal welfare. So it does fit into that. But it, if we had to take one that I found to be really sort of a jarring example, uh, and we'll just use it from the world of film, is, is Don't Look Up. And it came out um, last year. It had... I saw it. it had Leo in it. Yeah, it had Leonardo DiCaprio in it and a few other big stars. Um, the I'm not going to ruin the movie for anybody who hasn't seen it, but the gist of it is the scientists know that there is a meteor coming towards Earth and it's going to have a direct hit and destroy all of humanity. And they're trying to get the word out about it. And they're going on media. They're doing everything possible. And nobody wants to listen to them. They think they're crazy. And they don't believe it. They deny it. And when that movie came out, people most people very easily understood the the allusion to climate change and what the the movie wasn't subtle about what it was trying to allude to but then you started to see it play out in actual media so it's almost as if art created reality because these same conversations that were in the movie that were supposed to be tongue in cheek really started to happen and so i think with that that is a a great example showing people in a sort of fun way uh, the the situation that we're in. And I don't know if that's going to convert them to doing anything about it or to feeling any more uh, passion about saving the, saving the world, but uh, it is an example. And I, I suppose as well, if it's not something you're passionate about, if you you really don't care about saving the world, that's okay. 
that's fine because there there are billions of people who will be there to do it and that's that's totally fine but i think with most people you care about something whether that's your family or the food you put in your mouth or the stuff you put on your body we we can shoehorn all of that into sustainability somehow so i think even through your purchase decisions and again looking a decade into the future when everybody's going to be making the right choice because we won't have other choices just by doing that, you will have made a positive impact, whether you know it or not. And I think that's good. Like, you know, obviously you should hope to take some part in it to be part of the right team, not necessarily like on the right side of history. Like, yes, but if we are inevitably getting there, like there's some excuse to be like, well, I wasn't a part of it, but you also get, you know, some of that credit to say like, yeah, I was a part of this. And that's that part part is very important. Again, we don't have to be doing everything. And the the idea that it all sits on our shoulders is a false one. The idea that we need to be perfect is also a false one. And those of us that are in the profession or certainly people in the activist or environmentalist community, they get a lot of blowback where, especially I see it on TikTok all the time, where a creator that's in environmentalism will talk about something that they're doing in this space, but the comments will be calling them out like we talked about with corporations on all the stuff they're doing over here, discounting the thing that they're having a big impact in because they expect them to be perfect. We're not perfect. Spoiler alert. None of us are perfect. So I don't think that we should expect individuals to be perfect either. Just, just pick your part and don't feel like you have to be doing it all, no matter what people say, because people will pick you apart and tell you that, uh, that you need to be doing it all. And I, I suppose a funny, huh, funny, not so funny anecdote is the carbon footprint trackers that a lot of people have used online. So really figuring out, okay, how big is my carbon footprint? Now, when I do that, my carbon footprint is massive, but it's massive because I'm flying around the world to change corporate behavior. It doesn't take that into account. I don't get a credit in the positive way for changing the world. It just shows that I have been bad and I have a big footprint. But the crazy part that most people don't know is the first climate or sorry, carbon footprint tracker was actually developed by BP as a PR exercise. So it's developed by an oil and gas company to fault individual consumers and make them feel like it is our responsibility and our fault when in reality they're just sort of uh blowing us off the scent from all the bad things that they're doing so it was a greenwashing pr exercise that now everybody thinks is cute to uh, to know what their footprint is yeah they're like don't look at the thing we did it's all your fault here take this it's blame totally our fault right yeah okay so we had talked a little bit like, you know, in the future, going to your grocery store, like you will have these better options. What are the first things you think we're going to see going forward? Like how long is it going to take to, before we see some major changes? The crazy thing is it's already here. So people may not even know it. So we talked a second ago about making these choices and not even knowing that you're making the right choice. That's happening now. So certainly around organic farming. And it, all of these changes always start with things we either put on or in us. So it's it's usually food-based. And that's where we see, uh, again, organic food. There's a lot of traceability happening now in supply chains. And uh, I, I haven't lived in the U.S. for a long time, so I don't know where, where things are currently. But certainly from my own experience, whether it's here in Australia or in Korea or China, a lot of 
grocery stores will now offer you the option to scan a QR code on a package of whatever food it is. Maybe it's a pack of lettuce and you can see exactly everything about the life of that, that head of lettuce. So all the way down to who planted the seed in the farm. So you know exactly the, the sort of chain of command. And that's good from a peace of mind standpoint, but also it keeps a company accountable to making sure they're not doing shady things in, in their supply chain with their food. So that stuff's already happening. It's already present in a lot of, a lot of grocery stores. We're also seeing it in the, the fashion world. And now the fashion world is very, a very difficult thing to unravel because it's, uh, there's a lot of bad things happening there. But on the other end of the spectrum, uh, you have a lot of smaller manufacturers that are really trying to be as sustainable as possible, given the current resources and capabilities that they have. So that stuff ha is happening as well. And all of that means that we're going to start seeing prices lower. So it's not going to be as expensive to do the right thing as it probably was uh, five or 10 years ago. And that in turn should encourage people to, to pick up even more and support these businesses that are doing the right thing. Yeah. I think at one point that was a joke where they're like, oh yeah, you could go to Whole Foods and get one head of lettuce, or you could buy a family meal for five at wherever else. It's exactly, I mean, especially Whole Foods, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that may not change. I'm from, well, I'm from LA. So I mean, Air One market is crazy. The price is there. So I don't know how people afford it. <laughs> yeah. And there are a lot of these really innovative, cool ideas that people have to, you know, fix the problems that that we're owning right now. So whether that's big towers that will capture, you know, carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere or pollutants out of the atmosphere, those exist. Uh, there are, I saw something the other day, it's sort of a manufactured artificial tree, but it doesn't look like a tree. It looks like this gloopy green liquid in a glass case that is supposed to do the same work as like a thousand trees and they're putting them up in cities. So there are all these really cool innovations. There's somebody else and I forget his name. I, I believe he's, he's a, a Dutch, he would be like 22 or 24 now, but he's created this massive machine that is cleaning plastics from the ocean. Uh, he's run into financing problems because the machine is obviously quite expensive and he has aspirations to scale it even further. But there are these really cool sort of uh, use of, of tech and innovation to hopefully fast track us in the right direction. And none of that involves Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And talking about, you know, like the financial aspect of those, you know, involving new tech into the world, is this, does it go back to part of that problem where we're like, you know, this is an individual creating a thing that will eventually become, you know, like its own private company that is doing good things. Is it missing some of the financing because of that third party, the government, not wanting to like, you know, throw money at a, at a thing that they're not involved in? There is a lot of, yes, there is a lot of that. Uh, I, I don't know the, the, the PC way of terming it, but yes, there's a lot of that happening where if somebody doesn't have their, their stamp on it, then they don't want it to go ahead because it makes them look bad versus just partnering and collaborating. We need much more collaboration than, than we're doing currently, especially between corporations, individuals, and government. So there, there's definitely that. And I also think when it comes to, to finance, especially in tech, there's we, we've seen it happen over and over again from Silicon Valley over the past 10-ish years. We hear all the horror stories coming out of Silicon Valley because 
tech is always, and the financers are always looking for the next big thing, but they aren't looking really too far into the future. They have these aspirations, not realistic, not scalable. Um, unfortunately, sustainability is something that we're going to have to be dealing with for a very long time from now on. So it's not something we can just make a quick buck off of and and do away with. And I think the mentality, particularly in the finance sector, but also just with corporations in general, they're usually measured quarter by quarter. And if you don't perform well each quarter, then you're fired. Sustainability is not measured in quarters. So there's a big sort of clashing of clashing of interests when it comes to getting people to work together between those two groups. Yeah, I can certainly see that. <laughs> it's not the easiest field I chose, no. Yeah, honestly, like <laughs> the amount of patience you have to have to work in a field like this where every day it's just like new nonsense flying in one direction and like, you know, a new myth like flying in the other. Like I can't imagine standing in front of the fan on that one. <laughs> I mean, people are getting much smarter. So it's not, especially with those those falsehoods that are out there, people have access to information. They're using it the right way, um, especially uh, this is pretty salient with, with everything happening in the US, but the use of TikTok for research uh, beyond just what the latest dance trend is, but really understanding what's happening in the world to connect with community is, is so important. So I, I think we're, and this is not at all my field of, of study or interest, but we're, we're sort of seeing this I suppose kind of a back backflip into creating the the internet the way it probably was supposed to be created and utilized. So I think we've we've gone through a pretty hellish period, but we're probably on the other side of that now. So hopefully that's you know even even another virtuous cycle that we can get ourselves into to really be capitalizing on on social media community and the internet. Yeah, and we will hope for the best in all of that as uh, yes. maybe the internet recovers and becomes more than the hellish wasteland that it has been in the, the last couple of years. I mean, I'm scared to say it can't get any worse because you say something like that. It does. <laughs> so I won't. <laughs> John, you've done it now. No, <laughs> I think this has been great. I have appreciated your time. I wanted to make sure people could find you and the things you're doing if they're looking for more of you. Absolutely. So you can just, it's easy. Just find me through my website, johnpabone.com. Um, I have my current book is out, Sustainability for the Rest of Us. And then my newest book, The Great Greenwashing, will be out for sale. Oh, this is the US. So it won't be out for sale in the US until a little bit later this year. Uh, you can probably finagle a copy off Amazon because it launches in across the Commonwealth at the end of May. All right. There we go. Well, <laughs> good. And thank you again for being here. I think this has been great. You know, like probably throws some people off to hear like sustainability talked from a different perspective. I certainly hope so. That's uh, that's my goal to get the right message out there and hopefully getting people uh, up and active. So definitely thanks for having me on. Do you feel more educated after listening to this episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast? If you enjoyed the episode, please take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes or Spotify. If you really like what I'm doing, remember to subscribe for two new episodes every single week and check out the ever-expanding backlog. Let me know what you'd like to hear by reaching out and emailing me, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or by sending a message to me on any of the show pages like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever else. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. That's it for this week. Have a great weekend, everyone, and I'll see you all back here on Monday.
Bye-bye.